0: This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. There's no need to figure out how to be more productive on your own. I've done the research for you. I have a free gift. My top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs. All you have to do to get them is to go to top 5 That's the number five, top5productivitytips.com. Get my top five productivity tips right now, absolutely free top5productivitytips.com. Paul Shapiro is the author of the national bestseller, Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. He's also the CEO of The Better Meat Company, a four-time TEDx speaker, and the host of the Business for Good podcast. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Mark. Great to be with you. It's an interesting topic we're going to get into today. And I can tell you, I have had vegans on the show. I have had vegetarians on the show. I've had nutritionists on the show. I've never had someone on the show that wanted to talk about producing meat experiences without animals. So I'm really, I've got my student hat on. I got my student heart on and I can't wait to get into the conversation with you. But before we do that, Other than what I read about in your introduction, is there anything else you want to share with the audience and me to put you in the context about what we're going to talk about today? Uh, Sure, Mark. So my whole life I've been concerned about
1: this problem. So the planet just isn't getting any bigger. The humanity's footprint on the planet is getting a lot bigger, but the planet itself isn't getting any bigger. And one of the primary ways that we leave that footprint is through our food print, principally in the amount of meat that we eat. And so we all know that it just takes a lot of land, a lot of water, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions and more to raise and slaughter billions and billions of animals for food. But the question that I've asked myself for so long now and others is, what can we do about this? Because people want to eat meat. Demand for meat is growing, not falling. And not just in China and India and Brazil and nations that are expanding the middle class where meat demand is skyrocketing, but even in the United States on a per person basis, meat demand continues to rise. And so if we are to satiate humanity's meat tooth, so to speak, without destroying the planet and therefore ourselves in the process, how can we do it? And so that's what has been this vexing problem that I have been trying to figure out for a very long time. And I'm eager to talk more about the various ways to do what you said, Mark, to produce meat experiences without the need to raise and slaughter animals.
0: So I will tell you, I went through my phase of being vegetarian and I tried some of the meat substitutes out there. I think the best one I've ever tasted was Beyond Meat. That's the one that Whataburger uses, not Whataburger gave the wrong credit to the wrong company, Burger King uses, and it's not bad. The, the, the issue I had going with meatless meat, if you will, for lack of better term is you're so used to how ground chuck or ground beef or steak or pork chop, et cetera, et cetera, taste when you go get something that's not all natural meat, it can be, um, it can be a change. It can be a paradigm shift. And, and you're just, you're just not going to taste and go, Oh, this is delicious you're going to go, hmm, that's uh, that's kind of unusual. But if you stick with it, you can grow to like it, correct? Yeah, I think that
1: you're right, Mark. And I found that's been my own experience as well, that the more that you do something, the more you either come to enjoy it or become accustomed to it. And so I really like many of the animal-free meats that are on the market, including Beyond Meat, as you mentioned. But I do think it's important for the companies in this space, including my own, to try to get to as much of a mimicry of meat from slaughtered animals as possible. So let me put it to you this way. When you walk into a room market and you switch on the light, you are looking for an illuminated room. That's what you're look, That's what you're after. You're not thinking, "Oh, is this coming from? Is the light coming from coal, or is it coming from solar, or is it coming from wind or, or oil?" You just want light. That's it. And the same is so when people eat meat. Most people, when they eat meat, they're not thinking, "Ah, oh, I'm so glad an animal was slaughtered for this." They're not thinking about that. And if they did think about it at all, maybe they would actually prefer that an animal not be slaughtered for it. But we want the same experience. We don't want light from renewables to be any inferior to the light in your room that comes from coal, as an example. And the same thing is so with meat. We need to create meat experiences that really resemble, if not exceed the experience of the conventional way of producing meat today, in the same way that a Tesla is not just like any normal car, but it's actually better It's actually a better car than a conventional car. And that's why so many people pay vastly more for it than they would a conventional car. We need to make sure that we do the same with meat. And there's lots of ways to create meat experiences without animals. And so you can, for example, go to the animal kingdom and you can take animal cells and grow animal cells in a cultivator where you grow real actual animal meat without the need to raise the whole animal. So that's not a meat alternative. It's not a meat substitute. That's real actual animal meat that's simply grown without slaughtering animals. That's the topic of my book, Clean Meat, which you kindly mentioned earlier, Mark, but there's other ways too. If you don't want to go to the animal kingdom, you can go to the plant kingdom. And that's what companies like Beyond Meat, as you mentioned, are doing. They are taking crops like peas and processing them in ways that make them resemble more of an animal's flesh. And you can do That and that's great. There's other things that companies like my own are doing, my company, The Better Meat Co., where we use microbial fermentation. And we take basically little microscopic fungi and we subject them to a type of fermentation where they essentially eat potatoes. And just in the same way that a cow eats grass and converts that grass into a steak, our little microscopic fungi eat potatoes and they convert it into a food that frankly looks kind of like a steak. And it's high in protein, high in iron. No saturated fat, no cholesterol, naturally contains vitamin B12, and it really does have the texture of an animal's meat. And so unlike a cow, though, who takes more than a year of feeding her before you slaughter her, our little microscopic fungi are ready for harvest after less than one single day in the fermenter. So we put them in the fermenter and less than a day later, we are harvesting huge amounts of really succulent, wonderful meat that doesn't involve animals.
0: Interesting. Well, like I said, I've had vegans on the show, vegetarians on the show, nutritionists on the show. And one of the things that I I what I'm gonna say, I know you've heard it a thousand times. I'd like to know your take on it, is people will say the one camp will say, you know, it's not right to kill these animals, to slaughter these animals. But then as a Christian, I look at, okay, I, I believe that God put the animals on this planet for a reason. It wasn't to go to school. It wasn't to get a job at a Fortune 50 company, to be CEO, to be an influencer on Instagram. They they have a purpose, to feed us, and there's nothing in the Bible that says you shouldn't eat animals, okay, and I know, I know some people, I'll give you a chance just to reply in just a minute. And I, I think I, I don't mind people's choices. I think what you're doing is great. I think the people who say, look, I'm going to be vegan because I'm not going to eat anything with a parent. I, I support that. If you want to be vegetarian, I support that. If you want to eat a standard American diet, a sad diet, I support that. I, you know, if that's what you want to eat, my problem comes to is when people say, look, you are an evil person if you are eating a burger or you're an evil person. If you're having an egg for breakfast now, I'm not evil. Okay. I've made different choices than you. And I think that's why this whole vegetarian, vegan carnivore, there's so much debate because people are not respecting each other's choices. They're getting very angry. And I don't know about you, Paul, but when someone gets in my face and waves their finger and says, you're being evil, you're a rotten person. You're not going to convince me to change my way of eating. Now, if you said to me, hey, listen, I got some facts to you. Let me show you some. Now I'm more apt to listening. But I think so many people are approaching this this topic with anger. That's That's not converting people. Yeah, you know, Mark, I'm in concert
1: with you that uh, people aren't necessarily evil or rotten, to use the words that you're talking about. And those who say so are uh, particularly effective at being ineffective. So I I like to joke that uh, what will you never find at a vegan bookstore? A humor section. And so, you know, (laughs) uh, and so uh, there is like some truth to that stereotype. uh, But at at the same time, I I do want to point out, first of all, it's not all or nothing. You know, some people are going to say, oh, I would like to do a meatless Monday and simply eat less meat on Monday. Or some people are going to do what cookbook author Mark Bittman does, where he says he's vegan before 6 p.m. Right. So vegan before 6 p.m. and after 6 p.m. he eats whatever he wants. Some people are going to want to go vegan before 6 p.m. and after 6 p.m. They're going to go like whole hog or maybe they're going no hog. But the point is that. There's it's not a black or white thing. We're all trying to do the best that we can. I do want to address this issue about uh, the Bible and what it says on here, because the Bible doesn't mandate us to eat animals. In fact, if you go to if you go to Genesis 129, this is where uh, God actually tells Adam and Eve what their diet is. And interestingly enough, in Eden, which is the utopian vision for God, it's a vegan diet. It's not until after they are expelled from Eden and after the fall during the story of Noah that God grants the concession to humanity to eat meat, realizing that it does not reach his ideal, which is an ideal of of nonviolence. So God did not create animals to be eaten. He created them. And in Eden, (laughs) humans are vegan. So there is this uh, a little bit of a, I think, discussion to be had about all of that. But the question for me is not so much, well, you know, what happened in Genesis? The question is, what's happening in the year 2021 today? And that is that raising and slaughtering billions of animals for food is not just bad for them. It's bad for us. It's a leading driver of so many of the environmental crises that we face from deforestation to wildlife extinction, pandemic risk and more. In fact, the United Nations put out a report recently called Preventing the Next Pandemic. And in there, the U.N. identifies the top reasons they believe that we are going to have another pandemic. Number one on the U.N. list for top likely reasons for the next pandemic, increasing demand for animal protein. Number two the intensification of agriculture, so confining animals in tiny spaces where they're living wing to wing or beak to beak or snouts to snout. And number three is the bushmeat trade, so killing wildlife for their meat. So the top one, two, and three reasons the United Nations says that we are likely to have another pandemic all relate to humanity's desire to eat meat. Now, I would love it if more people said, hey, I want to enjoy a more plant-based diet. I want to eat more bean and rice burritos and lentil soup and hummus. I think that would be fantastic. However, we have to play the cards as they are dealt. And the hand that we are dealt is that meat demand is increasing, not decreasing. And so I think that the task before us is not to try to necessarily only morally persuade people, whether through carrots or sticks, that they ought to be eating differently. But rather, we can invent new technologies that render the old system of meat production totally obsolete. After all, we didn't stop uh, exploiting horses for labor because anybody cared about horses. We stopped because cars were invented. We didn't stop whaling for oil. We keep in mind 150 years ago, we were all lighting our homes with whale oil and we didn't stop lighting our homes with whale oil because people cared about whales. We stopped because kerosene was invented and it was a cheaper, cleaner way to light our homes. We didn't stop live plucking geese for their quills, which is the way that most people wrote for hundreds of years. Uh, because anybody cared about geese, we, We stopped because metal fountain pens were invented. And the list goes on and on and on of of pretty dastardly things that we did to animals that ended not because of humane sentiment, not because we decided to be better stewards of God's creation, but rather because technologies rendered the old system archaic and obsolete. And that's what we need to do with the factory farming of animals is create new technologies that create the same, if not better meat experiences without the need to raise and slaughter animals so that we can continue eating all the meat that people want to, but with a tiny little fraction, a tiny little fraction of the land and water and yes, animal suffering as well that is needed to make meat today.
0: Does your to-do list have you overwhelmed? When you join my Digital Productivity Coaching Program, you'll learn how to get and stay focused, become untangled from the chaos of your to-do list, experience less overwhelm, and have time to do what you really want to do. Sign up today by clicking the coaching tab at mrproductivity.com. Very well said. And a, a- don't know how many people have ever read the Bible who listen to my show I read it every year day after day every year and you're right we were vegan Adam and Eve were vegan I'm um, there's no there's no animals in the garden there's no McDonald's there's no steakhouses it was vegan and, and I don't think people realize it I certainly did yeah. also what, there was no what, rain what, back in the yeah, Garden said, of Eden it, it watered from the ground people a lot of people don't know that either Huh? Yeah. Now, I, I, you you likely know it better than I do, but I I am I'm
1: under the impression that there were animals there. It's just not that they were being eaten. Well, that's Um, what I meant. Yeah, I
0: spoke on that. But let's go. Let's go to this because let's talk about cost. Because one of the driving forces where I think it's going to have to before a movement like yours really takes off, or the vegan movement or the vegetarian movement, is when you go eat meat substitutes like a Beyond Meat. You go get Beyond Meat at your local supermarket. It's significantly more expensive than buying. Regular meat. And so when people who are living paycheck to paycheck, they go in there and they're like, well, I understand what Paul said on the show, but man, I I can't afford that. I I I got, I got two growing boys they are 18 year old and they're, they're, they're athletic. And I got my husband. How am I supposed to feed my family on these meat substitutes? So cost is a real issue when it comes to this. Yeah, you're
1: right, Mark. So let me first just state oftentimes plant based food is cheaper, not more expensive when you're talking about eating things like lentils and rice and beans and so on. Uh, There's a great website. It's called plant based on a budget that talks all about the best ways to save money while also uh, eating a plant-based diet. Full disclosure, that website is founded and run by my wife. So I am touting it both because I think it's a great resource and because I prefer domestic harmony. Uh, now, <laughs> um, now, all of that said, you are right that many of the uh, animal-free meats that are on the market, not rice and beans and lentils and so on, but actual the animal, animal-free meats, those are more expensive than conventional meats today. But with scale, that will change. The animal agriculture industry has had decades to optimize and scale its own production, so that they have really created enormous efficiencies and size. And they don't pay a lot of their own costs. A lot of the environmental pollution, a lot of the animal cruelty, and more is not paid at the dollar by dollars. It's paid. It's borne by society. So. Uh that's all the one way to say, though, that the animal free meat companies today are so small compared to, let's say, the Tyson's and Cargill's of the world that they need to grow. Uh, you can imagine, for example, what the first smartphones cost, and they were prohibitive. Yep. And now everybody's walking around with one in their pocket. And the same thing will happen here. The costs will continue to come down. And I, I think it's a real problem, and it needs to happen. It needs to be solved faster. And we at The Better Meat Co. have a, a method of running fermentations that actually have such low operating costs that we see a pathway for us within only a matter of a couple years to be producing animal-free meats that are as cheap as chicken. So keep in mind, uh, chicken is one of the cheapest types of meat today. And it's tough on for the animal free meat companies to even compete on cost with beef, which is more expensive. But we see a pathway within a couple years for us to be competing on cost, not just with beef, but with chicken.
0: Now, it's interesting that you said earlier that you go and get some uh, cells or something and you actually grow the animals, but they're actual animal meat, but they're not they're not like slaughtered. So walk us Uh through that because I know my listeners are going, wait a minute, he's growing animals, but they're not really animals, but there are animals. So I'm a little confused on that. Sure. So if you think about what's
1: called the cultivated meat industry, this is, again, real meat grown from animal cells rather than animal slaughter. And so what you can do is take a tiny little sesame seed sized biopsy from an animal. And in that there are millions of little microscopic cells in there. And all they do, they're called satellite cells. And all they do is grow new muscle tissue. If the animal works out or the animal is injured, those cells go to work and they produce more muscle. Well, you have those in your flesh, Mark, and I have them in mine and cows have them in theirs and same with pigs and chickens. And those cells have only one career in life. The only career they have is to produce muscle, new muscle. That's it. They can't do anything else. And so when you take those cells and you put them in a cultivator where you replicate the conditions of the animal, same temperature, same pH, same nutrients, and so on, those cells do what they would normally do in the animal's body because they think they are still in the animal's body and they grow new muscle. And, of course, muscle is meat. That's what we eat. And so that is, a, in a very small nutshell, the method of creating what's called cultivated meat or clean meat. And it's called clean meat sometimes because not only is it an illusion to clean energy because you can produce meat with so many fewer resources that are needed to raise whole animals, but it's also just cleaner, literally. Uh, you think about raw meat today, you're warned to treat it like toxic waste. You know, If it touches anything in your supermarket cart, you got to segregate them. If you, raw meat touches your kitchen counter, you've got to sanitize it. If it gets to your hands, you need to wash your hands. And the reason is that meat has feces on it. Campylobacter, salmonella, E. coli, these are intestinal pathogens that can sicken us if we don't cook our meat and that's why you're warned to really cook your meat so thoroughly because it has uh, those intestinal pathogens. Now, with clean meat, you don't have to worry so much about intestinal pathogens because there aren't intestines involved. You're just growing that muscle that people want. You don't have intestines. In fact, you're more likely to infect that meat with your hands than the meat is to infect you. So there's a lot of benefits to this method that go beyond environmental and animal welfare. It's also a huge food safety benefit and interestingly, it could actually be better for human health. So we all know right now that meat contains nutrients that many people want, but it also contains a lot that people don't want, saturated fat, cholesterol, and more. So what if we could make burgers, let's say, where instead of saturated fat, they have a lot of omega-3 fatty acids. At that point, you could be making real burgers that instead of causing heart attacks actually prevent them that's one of the many ways that i think that we can improve upon meat today not just mimic it but actually improve it and create a better meat industry which is why my company is called the better meat co because we are making better meat not just good meat but actually better than what we have today
0: have you ever done a taste test with a real burger and your meat with a uh, blind yeah. test like pepsi and coke hey you listening to the Mark Juchowski podcast? Thank you so much for doing so. I really appreciate it. But are you a Mark Stuchewski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter, and you can sign up right now by going to MrProductivity.com. M-I-S-T-E-R, MrProductivity.com.
1: Numerous times. So at The Better Meat Co., we are pretty fastidious about running focus groups all the time, comparing conventional meat to the meat that comes from our microbial fermentation methods. And oftentimes they are just indistinguishable. Um, That's especially the case when you're dealing with things where there's a lot going on. Let's say, like, take a dumpling. We're in a dumpling. You know, you've got the wrapper, you've got other vegetables, and you're dipping them in soy sauce. You really can't tell the difference at all. On a so-called naked product, uh, let's say, like a meatball, uh, sometimes some people, not everybody, but sometimes some people can tell the difference. Um, But it's hard. In fact, uh, I live in Sacramento, and there's a steakhouse here in Sacramento that serves steaks that are made from our microbially fermented proteins. wow. And and uh, people there get it and they love it. They think it tastes fantastic. In fact, the owner of this steakhouse, uh, uh, this guy Brian Bennett, said that it's the best animal-free steak he's ever had in his life. So I- I'm pretty convinced that given where we are today and with more progress and technological advancement where we will be tomorrow – we will be able to create a meat industry without animals. If you go back, Mark, to let's say um, about uh, 110 years ago when the car was just taking over America's streets, for centuries it had just been horse-drawn carriages. And nobody even had a word for car. The word car didn't even exist back in 1910. They just called them horseless carriages. That was the best they could come up with. You know, These are horseless carriages carrying people around. And today we now uh, don't call them horseless carriages. In fact, if you were to, use a horse-drawn carriage, despite the fact that it was the norm for many centuries, <laughs> uh, you would be viewed a- as if you were probably insane. If you you know, went out of your house to go to the store and you got a horse-drawn carriage, you would view either you're a part of a religious minority sect that is extremely fringe or you are uh, an insane person. Like <laughs> that, that would be like the only thing that people would say. And I think the same might be so, let's say, 50 years from now with meat, that it'll be so much better. So much more efficient, so much more convenient for us to enjoy meat without animals that people will think of it and say, hey, I'm so glad that we no longer need horses to carry us around. I'm so glad we don't have to slaughter pigs and chickens and cows anymore because the new methods are so much better.
0: Now, I'm going to play the skeptic here because I, I know th- we're not going to get everyone on the planet to be vegetarian or vegan in the next 50 years. That, that is probably a dream y'all want, but that's not going to happen because you have this paradigm shift, which we'll get to in just a second. But if, let's say, everybody in this world tomorrow stopped eating meat we would have an overabundance of animals. I think that's part of the the thing I hear my carnivore friends are saying. They'll say, wait a minute, if we're not eating cows and pigs, we just let them run everywhere, you know, we're going to have a problem because they, they take God's command of multiply, and they will multiply and multiply. <laughs> that is something that we also have to consider because these animals are going to, they're not going to just die off because we're not eating them. They're going to continue uh, multiplying. So what do you say to that? Well, I'd ask what happened when
1: cars took over. Within about 10 years, cars decimated the uh, horse population. So we had huge numbers of horses in our city streets. Cars were invented. Pretty much everybody switched to cars within about a decade. And what happened? Were we overrun with horses? Did our cities drown in manure from horses? No, people stopped breeding horses. Chickens and pigs and cows don't just breed on their own. They breed because we have them breed. These are industries based on this. It's kind of like saying well, when a lot of people stop smoking, were we overrun with all the tobacco plants? No, people stopped breeding tobacco plants. Uh, the And as much as some people may want it, you're not going to see a shift overnight. You're going to see a gradual shift away. Right now, we raise and slaughter billions of animals for food. Let's just take as an example: if people started doing, let's just say Meatless Monday. So that's a one fourteen, or that's a, excuse me, a, a one seventh or a fourteen percent decrease in meat consumption. You would therefore see a commensurate fourteen percent reduction in the number of chickens who are being bred. So they wouldn't be. Uh, a billion chickens running around uh, downtown Manhattan uh, with nowhere to go, uh, you would just not have them being bred. That's the whole reason why they're in existence today is because people are breeding them, not because we're letting them naturally breed
0: very very well said. So what are you going to do about the paradigm shift? When I say you, I don't mean you, Paul Shapiro. I mean, what is the meat alternative people going to do? Because you're going to have to deal with the paradigm shift from people who are used to going to Burger King, McDonald's, the steakhouse and getting steak or cooking out hots and hamburgs on the grill. You're going to have to deal with that paradigm shift. What's your plans for that? People will continue going to Burger King.
1: They'll continue going to steakhouses. They're still going to be ordering Whoppers. They just won't be coming from slaughtered animals. In the same way that you can go to Burger King right now and get an animal-free Whopper right now, as you mentioned earlier, Mark, uh, people can still do that. Uh, What we at the Better Meat Co. are trying to do is, again, to satiate humanity's meat tooth to allow humanity to continue eating the meat that it wants without so many problems associated with it. Uh, Very few people are saying in, let's say, the renewable energy sector, hey, we just want people to walk and bike rather than drive. Well, that would be great if people did that, but it's probably not going to happen. People want to drive. It's a lot more convenient. And so the question isn't, well, how are we going to shift people away from driving to walking and, and biking? Instead, it's how can we create cars that don't emit greenhouse gases? And that is the same thing as what we are trying to do. I agree with you. I don't think lots of people are going to say, hey, I'm down now just to eat lentil soup instead of a hamburger. That would be great if it happened. Uh, I'm not holding my breath, though, as much as I like lentil soup. Uh, The issue, though, is how can we create that burger? that doesn't cause so many problems. And there's a whole industry now with literally billions of dollars of capital from investors going into it to create these type of meat experiences without animals, because many people believe that this is the wave of the future. It's kind of like if you go back to the 1990s and you look at the, film wars between Kodak and Canon. And so you had both of them vying for supremacy in the print film market. They both are making huge amounts of money selling negatives and gelatin film and all that one hour photo. Uh, And then they both know about digital. But Kodak is concerned that it's going to cannibalize its core business, whereas Kodak, excuse me, whereas Canon said, well, we think it might cannibalize, but we think it's the way of the future. And we all know what happened. Kodak didn't invest in digital, and they went bankrupt, whereas Canon did, and they're now the largest manufacturer of digital cameras on the planet. Canon still sells us the same thing. It's a way to capture our memories. We're still having photographs that that end up capturing our memories, but it's way more convenient. Instead of one-hour photo, now we have instant photo. I mean, imagine imagine if it took an hour to get a photo. Imagine if it took one minute to get a photo. People would be outraged, and yet just you know, 20 years ago, that was what we had to do. Uh, yeah. And so- <laughs> and, 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 and so the question is, well, there wasn't a paradigm shift where people said, oh, I'm, I'm cool with no photos anymore. It's just that we now still have photos, but they are in a vastly more efficient and better way that we all prefer. And similarly, we will still enjoy meet experiences except they will just be in a way that we all prefer. And we'll be so grateful that we don't still do it the way that we used to. Uh, we will be so, so grateful, just to, you know, so many examples. We're so grateful we don't have to wait an hour to get our photos anymore. We're so grateful we don't have to go to the video store and browse through the VHSs. We can watch pretty much anything we want, anytime we want at, with a click of a button. And in the future, we'll be so grateful that we don't have to torment and slaughter animals anymore and destroy the planet to produce the meat that we want And kill ourselves with heart disease and other problems associated with high rates of meat consumption today. And we'll say, hey, I'm so glad that there were some innovative pioneers who saw a better way and created a new future that is far more sustainable, far more healthy and far more humane than the way that we had been doing it.
0: I am from a suburb of Rochester, New York, and we used to jokingly call it Kodak, New York. And now it's it, it's like they used to have massive, massive footprint in Rochester. And now there's only a few buildings because they go, ah, oh, digital. Nobody's going to want their pictures immediately. Well, <laughs> and yeah, like you, to your point, they made a huge mistake on that. And now, I mean, I used to be a photographer and I remember the day I converted from film to digital. And I'm like, this is so cool because you could set all the lighting up. I remember doing this, taking all the lighting up, and then you take it on film. You weren't sure until you got it back from the lab. And now I have my iPhone. I can take really good pictures. I'm not a photographer anymore, but it's just amazing how some people are resistant to change. They're like, ah, we're always going to have horses. We're always going to have film cameras. And those are the people who are sitting back going, What just happened? Because you weren't paying attention. So before I ask you where we can go find out more about you and what you're doing in the world, do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave the listener with?
1: I, I would simply affirm what you were just saying, Mark, which is that people get accustomed to doing things one way because it has always been done that way. And many people have a poverty of ambition or a poverty of imagination. And they think, ah, why would we ever do it any differently? We've always done it this way. Think about ice as an example. For thousands of years, the only way anyone had to get ice was out of nature. There was a whole industry of surrounding, harvesting big blocks of ice out of frozen rivers and lakes and putting them in insulated boats and traveling all around the world to deliver ice for people's in-home ice boxes. Then we invented refrigeration and we had a way more efficient way to get ice. And that was just by cooling the the water down in front of you. Well, the ice barrens, of that age were livid over this new technological innovation. And they railed against what they called artificial ice. They said it went against God, it went against nature. This was unnatural and don't do it. And we all know what happens. You fast forward to today and we all have artificial ice makers in our homes. We call them freezers. We don't think there's anything unnatural about them at all. Well, similarly, just in the same way that the only way we had to get ice was out of nature until technology rendered a new way, the only way we've had for a long time to get meat was out of animals' bodies. And now technology is, is inventing a new way to get meat that is way more efficient. And in the future, people won't refer to it as something like fake meat, as an example, any more than we call it artificial ice. It will just be meat because that's the same experience that it is creating for us. And those who see that, those in the business world, especially in the protein industry today, who see that and embrace that innovation are going to be like the cannons. And those who have their head in the sand and say, hey, we've always slaughtered animals. We'll continue slaughtering animals in perpetuity. Those will be like the
0: you know, I get annoyed when people, when I went through my vegetarian phase that says, oh, it's fake meat. And yeah. I'm like, okay, if you want to go down that road, let's talk about is the food air quotes here at McDonald's really food. You're concentrating yeah. on the meat, but really, I mean, you're, you're taking a potato which is a very good thing. And then you're frying it and then you're putting salt and, and ketchup on it. So if you want to go down the fake food aisle, that's a really big, like candy. Okay. That's not real food. Okay. So that's a really deep discussion we can have on another show. But I don't like when people say, my wife, you say all the time, fake meat, fake meat. I'm like, no, it's an alternative. It's not fake. Okay. That I don't like that because there's so many things in this world that are fake. And most people are eating it. They're eating fake stuff. And they do not realize it, but they're focusing on (laughs) one particular food group. Yeah. Well, uh, these animal-free meats are very real, I can assure you. And
1: uh, they're better for us, too. They are better for us. The number one killer of Americans, both men and women, is heart disease. And we know that uh, a high meat diet is associated with increased risk of heart disease, along with numerous other ailments. And we can create those same meat experiences without all that saturated fat and cholesterol and all the other things about meat that we don't like. And that's what, we're, that's what we at The Better Miko are trying to do. Excellent.
0: So where can we go to find out more about you and the debt you're putting in the universe? Uh, It's very nice of
1: you, Mark. If you're interested in getting in touch, go to bettermeat.co. Again, that's bettermeat.co. And if you'd like to read my book, Clean Meat, you can go get it anywhere books are sold on Amazon or anywhere else. Uh, But the book's official website is just cleanmeat.com.
0: Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show today. I learned a lot. I know my listener learned a lot and I really appreciate your time. Hey, I appreciate you, Mark. Thanks so much. I am so thankful that you listened to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. You are why I do the show. And I know you have a quadrillion different options that you could have spent your time with today, but you chose this episode and I want to honor you. I want to thank you because you really do make me want to do this show as often as I do it. I have a free gift for you. My top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs. All you have to do to get it is go to top five productivity top five productivity pick up my top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs today. It's my gift to you And until we meet again next time, my friend, thank you again for your time and attention. Now take what you learned on the show and go apply it to your life.